Welcome back to Waxing the Porpoise, a place where secrets lie like forgotten whispers and porpoises bear witness to the most perplexing of tales. This week, G-Baby and the usual suspect Steve turn their gaze back to the unsolved as we break down an ongoing story that has sent shockwaves through the heart of Boston, the curious case of Karen Reed. This episode will focus on the untimely death of John O'Keefe, a respected 16-year veteran of the Boston PD and his longtime girlfriend Karen Reed who awaits trial after being charged with his murder. In doing so, we'll analyze the alleged cover-up that she and her defense team have put forth, which posits that there's a conspiracy orchestrated by high-ranking officials in the Boston and Canton Police Department circles of power to frame her for John's murder. Will Karen Reed's claims hold water, or are they merely the musings of a woman on the edge of desperation? Join us as we attempt to untangle the web that threatens to ensnare a presumably innocent woman. It's a journey that will test your beliefs and challenge your perception of justice. Remember, as we embark on this chilling odyssey, the truth can be a slippery creature, hiding in the shadows, waiting to be unearthed. The porpoises, silent witnesses to the unseen currents of this tale, will guide us with their wisdom and intuition. It means you'll be a psychically attacked. Let's wax this wicked porpoise. Don't do that. See, we, we working on his brow chakra. We're just in back of the crown chakra. All right, welcome back to Waxing the Porpoise. We are back again on episode 63 now. We're here this evening to discuss... The Curious Case of Karen Reed, um, which is a new one on me that is kind of similar to Murdaugh. I hadn't heard anything about it, and I think this is like a year and a half or so kind of in the making since the incident uh, that we're going to be examining occurred. Uh, and Steve turned me on to this one. And again, I thought it was kind of surface level along with Murdaugh, you know, like kind of garden variety. But as you dig deeper, there's definitely a huge rabbit hole and a lot of inconsistencies uh coincidences and suspicious stuff surrounding this case so uh it should should be pretty interesting so um before we get right into the meat of it uh you got myself as usual jim g baby maybe maybe not maybe fuck yourself and of course as always we have the usual suspect steve oh who the fuck are you I'm the guy who does his job. He must be the other guy. How's it going, man? Doing wonderful. I think this Sweet. is going to be a fun one. I was looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I got into this today, like, uh, like really, like, sunk my teeth into it. And I wish I would have uh, spent a couple more days on it. But I think at this point, too, it's still kind of open for speculation. Uh and there's there's going to be more to come, so this might be a cool part two, like down the road further when things materialize more. Because I'm definitely uh, going to keep this one on my radar uh, after this episode to kind of see what I'm. I really want to see what happens, but um, and hope this. I mean, my bias is showing already, but I, I it's it seems to me like she's been wronged, and like she's at minimum shouldn't be on the hook for second degree murder. Um, so I hope I hope she gets some justice out of all this because it looks like the 
the deck stacked against her. But uh, I guess to get started, do you kind of want to start us off on the on the beginning and some of the players, I guess? Or yeah, sure. Um, and also, kind of like you were saying, uh, the amount that you want to get into this story is basically up to you. You know, it's infinite. The sort of web, and the deeper you get you start to see all of these connections with all of the different people that are involved. And there is almost no limit to the amount of information that's out there that you can find um, between all of these people. Cause there's, there's so many people involved and they all have these connections to each other in one way or another. And yeah, it's crazy. And it seems to go all the way to the top, but uh, for those <laughs> who haven't heard anything about this story, it was in January of 2022 they find uh, Boston police officer John O'Keefe dead. And there's really two competing narratives that come out pretty soon. I, re- I remember hearing about it and then hearing a little bit of a follow-up of, you know, the, the woman that they think is responsible for was claiming that she's framed and that's always fun and worth a second look. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they, they were starting to have like motions hearings and that's when the defense narrative was sort of coming out because leading up to everything, all you really hear is the state and what they think happened. So once the other side of the story starts coming out, then it, then it became really interesting. And then the more you look into it, I mean, even now, if you just Google Karen Reed or John O'Keefe, you'll find a lot of really just sort of surface level articles about the death and her, her being responsible and, you know, things that may have come out in these motion hearings and they might glance over some of the defense theories and things that they're arguing about. But, um, you know, if you just keep going a little bit deeper, you'll find (laughs) an endless supply of interesting information. So, um, I bet, I guess, I guess we'll start with, uh, Karen Reed, his girlfriend is accused of killing John. Initially, they charged her with manslaughter, which is an unintentional killing, um, which is interesting because they then upgraded it to second degree murder, which is an intentional killing. That was one of my first things right off the bat. Do you know, like in a nutshell, without derailing your intro summary here, like why did they change? Like what do you know what evidence or what thing they're pointing at to be like, oh, no, we need to elevate this to the second degree murder? So I have I have a theory that I'm not super married to, um, because if if you and <laughs> I don't I, hate it, <laughs> I mean it's when I when I heard somebody floated, I thought okay that that makes sense, um, but then the more I thought about it, I was like actually it really doesn't make sense, but it sort of dovetails with another sort of half baked theory. So I, I I have two sort of half baked theories about that, which we can get into uh, okay. in, shortly. But uh, Karen is saying, well, let me go back to this. Yeah. If, if it's an accident, there's no criminal liability. If it was like a reckless but unintentional killing, that's where you get a manslaughter charge. They're charging her with an intentional killing, which is really unusual because even the state's theory has changed a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, the defense, and I will say I like her defense attorneys a lot. She's... She's a smart gal. She's done well for herself, so she has money. So that's a very valuable right. thing that she has in her corner. So she went and hired this – oh, gosh, I can't remember the guy's name. I have it written down. 
I liked them too. I saw, I've heard from two of them. I think the, the one is the one I've heard in court. I think that he's balding. And then I heard his, uh, her other lawyer talk like at the steps of the, uh, front of the courthouse, like addressing the media. And he was like an older gentleman, I think with gray hair. Um, so I, the guy I'm, I'm thinking of, I think his name's Alan Jackson, not the country singer. And I believe he's <laughs> the same guy who defended Kevin Spacey against his oh, multiple wow. accusations. So this guy's a, he's a big power player. And this case really started to change when he got involved and was sort of bringing a lot of interesting things to light that I'm sure the state kind of just wished would not. Mm-hmm. So I, and at, I'm, I'm kind of worried we might go too deep on some of this stuff. So we'll start. Yeah, with we can, pump the, we can pump the brakes. So I guess we'll just start with sort of surface level. And then if we want to go deeper into any one of these individual things, we can. So yeah. um, we can bring it back to the, the main quest line, you know, like he died. They're saying she, she hit him. And then she's saying there's a cover up on the other side. That's really it in a nutshell. And then we can kind of go from there. But um, yeah, so her defense is not only I didn't do it. They're bringing in what they call uh, third party culpability, which is like, we didn't do it. And we'll tell you who did, you know, because you can't if you're on trial for murder, you can't just be like, it could have been this guy. It could have been that guy. It could have been them. You know, you have to sort of offer some evidence to start doing the pointing, pointing the finger at someone specifically. That's where it gets interesting to me because it becomes not just you're defending the client, but then kind of like with murder on a Sunday morning, you know, you saw that both of those lawyers, but that Pat dude, I think was his name. Is that his fucking name? Pat McGinnis. Like he was out there beating feet. He's, he acted like more like a detective in like some of the stuff or like a PI uh, at minimum, you know, like out there investigating, like who did it then like doing the cops job for him kind of like yeah. that aspect of it, I think makes it really interesting. Cause the prosecution just has to prove like, no, this person did it and that's it. Like yeah. that's their main focus. Whereas like with this, like this third party culpability stuff, it like adds another uh, dimension to the defense, like workload and angle and everything. I thought, I thought that was super that time. This kind of clicked with me, like, damn, like all this work to, for what they're saying, they're purporting, you know, that there's a cover up that involves like Massachusetts state police, Boston PD, you know, all all these different players, like that's going to require a shit ton of like, you know, getting after it and informants and like doing the research and collating all that stuff. Yeah. So her, her defense team is saying Karen is not guilty, but the people that they are accusing of being behind it, is uh, another Boston police officer named Brian Albert and his sister-in-law, a woman named Jennifer McCabe. And we're going to, we're going to learn a lot more about them shortly, but in general, the state's theory of the case is a big group of these friends are all out drinking one night. Um, John O'Keefe's connection to this friend group is actually Jennifer McCabe. He doesn't know Brian Albert, who you would think he knows because it's a fellow police officer, but, He's friends Boston's with a big fucking town. <laughs> yeah. And from, right. from what I remember, Brian Albert is in a different division that's high up. I can't remember. It was like, 
Yeah, because they said he was featured on like a, I don't know, a reality show like Boston PD, some a la cops kind of thing. So, yeah. And he was like he, well liked. He had like a high, higher profile. So, yes. So, the state's version is they're all out drinking. Um, John decides to go to like an after party thing at Brian Albert's house. Sounds I saw like like Jennifer, Jennifer McCabe actually like went out of her way to like invite them. Yeah. Like come over. Like we're at, we're doing an after party at the house. Yeah. So uh Karen decides not to go, but she says, I'll drop you off. So the state's version is they had been fighting and they get in some sort of argument when she drops him off. It started as she accidentally hit him when she left. Then it changed to a murder charge of she intentionally backed her car into him, hit him killed him, drove home, and then later, after a few hours goes by, she fabricates concern, calls a bunch of friends, one of those friends being Jennifer McCabe, who's not really a friend, but she knew that she she had been there. And so they go looking the, for him, Yeah, and they go back to Brian Albert's house, and they find him in the snow, dead. And that's basically the, the state's version. Anything you want to add before we get to her version? Uh, no. Yeah, I think that about covers it. I think the, the only other thing, like, I also saw, so with them fighting, like, in the car, in that heat of the moment scenario, I also saw, like, um, or I, I read that I think the prosecution was trying to say they had been having some problems. Mm-hmm. Um, this wasn't just, like, a freak thing. Maybe it had been building up or leading to this, but they they had been having some problems for at least a few weeks or a couple months or something like that. Yeah, I, I think they were sort of an on again, off again thing too. Yeah. So her version of the story. And one thing I thought they were, it was interesting um, that she was kind of she was described as his living girlfriend, longtime girlfriend, and he had uh, two kids who weren't his. Yeah, but he, niece, that he had a niece cust- and a nephew. Yeah, that he had custody of too. So that because also both their, both their parents died, I think, within six months, and so he took. Oh fuck! Yeah, so he took Damn. both those kids in. What a saint, dude! That's awful. I didn't yeah. know that aspect. I I figured it was like some some gal he was with that like had had to go to rehab or something, and the and he stepped up for the kids or something like that. But at any rate, yeah, I mean, that adds to the dynamic a little bit too. Like you got kids involved that aren't hers. She's living with them. Maybe they're on again, off again, but anyway, sorry, I don't want to belabor that. No, you're good. So her version is pretty much the same. They went out drinking. She didn't want to go to this party. So she drops him off, drives home. This was around midnight, 1230 around five. She gets worried because she hasn't heard from him. So she starts calling around and this Jennifer McCabe offers to go help her look for him. They drive around and they find him at Brian Albert's house outside in the snow. And they, she tries to give him CPR and he, and he dies. So uh, they're similar, but very, very different details start to emerge that seem to be inconsistent with one more than the other. So the state, the state believes that, well, at first they believe she accidentally hit him and then it turned into an, an intentional ramming with her car. But if you look at the injuries to John, he had two basically black eyes that were swollen shut. 
multiple skull, skull fractures, a huge gash on the back of his head, uh, and what looked like dog bites to one arm and dog bites and scratches and right. no damage to anywhere like on his torso, which you might expect if somebody gets hit by a car. And when, when, if he would have been hit by a car, he would have landed in the snow or the grass. So it's not like he would have hit his head on a big concrete patch that right. was sitting out there. So I think, I feel like I, he would have had a, an injury or bruising to like his butt or like his upper shoulder or like back of his head. I know we had, he had a laceration on the back of his head. Um, but, but nothing at what you would think is bumper level, you know? Right. Yeah. Especially like if you're, I mean, if you're not getting hit at speed, yeah, you know, like I, I feel like anything below 10 to 15 miles an hour wouldn't kill you or wouldn't do this kind of damage. Uh, especially if you're, if the, it's a snowbank or like a patch of snow that you're going into as well, I feel like it'd have to be like 20 miles or over for it to like, you know, inflict some serious fucking harm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that or, sound fair? If you, I mean, it, it kind of just depends on where you get hit, but it's strange that, and it, it also kind of reminds me of the Murdoch thing when they were talking about the Stephen Smith, the injuries to him. It's like, this doesn't look like a car accident. You know, these aren't, mm-hmm. these are all injuries to his head, face, back of the head. And he's got right. his shoe would have been a fucking a football field away. You know, like all of his shit wouldn't be perfectly placed, like right in this one spot. Yeah. Given so- the level of like fucked up he was. Yeah, so so from, from here we really get into some of the weirdness of Jennifer and Brian. So let's start with Jennifer. So like like I said, yeah. when when Karen first starts calling around because she's nervous, he hasn't come home yet, and that's unusual for him, especially because he has these two kids that he's taking care of. Uh, right. Jennifer volunteers to help him search, and it's unusual because this is at five in the morning, and She's still awake, which is kind of strange. So if you if you want to look at it through like a conspiratorial eye, she essentially inserts herself into this search, you know, from the beginning. So the, the thought is that she's kind of just sitting around waiting for this call and then she volunteers to help. And what she right. says is when they when they first get to when they first get back to Brian Albert's house where they eventually find the body, she tells the police that when they arrive there, Karen immediately yelled at her twice to Google, how long do you have to be left outside to die from hypothermia? Which would explain why she would have that search on her phone. Right. But the curious thing is when they were able to look at her phone, at least for some of the data, she searched that at six forty. But they also found that she had searched almost the exact same thing at 227. 227, when, right. Yeah, when she was still in the house. Obviously, he was still missing. You know, they didn't hadn't discovered him yet. Karen's at home. And, and she hasn't he she hadn't linked up with Karen either, or like right. known to be like on the lookout for anything. So yeah, that's the number one piece that like sparks the suspicion for me was when I saw that like you know, she, she's, she searched this at two twenty seven. Like how long does it take to die in snow? It's like, that doesn't look very good. You know, no suspicion I, flag goes up immediately. I, I guess I should have prefaced the trial hasn't started yet. And I'm really looking forward to it because I think a lot of it is going to come down to expert testimony, whether it's about cell phone forensics or, uh, you know, like physician 
expert testimony about injuries and things like that and what they are or aren't consistent with. So none of this right. is evidence in a trial yet. This is all just speculation and right and just Good stuff point. that's out there. So uh, some of this could change. Some of this could be inadmissible, and some of it could be just straight up wrong. But this is what is out out there for now. So so then she made at six oh seven and six oh eight. Jennifer McCabe made uh, two calls to a cell phone that belonged to her sister, which is actually Albert's wife. And she was also out with the group the previous night. She was part of this. It sounds like it was 10 or 12 people. It was a pretty big group. Mm -hmm. Um, So she didn't answer. And then she immediately deleted those calls. Then she tried calling Albert at 623. He didn't answer. And then she deleted that one as well. And then uh, her cell phone data shows a couple hours later. She tried to go through and, and clean some stuff up, including deleting Albert's contact, which had been saved under uh, Uncle Brian A., which he's not her uncle, it's her brother-in-law. And then right. le- uh, less than, <laughs> I think it was the call to Albert at 623, less than a minute after that call, she opened an article titled, How Long Does It Take to Digest Food? Which, again, if you're looking at that from the defense point of view, She's, you know, she, this is a law enforcement family, so they're not dumb. So they know about investigative techniques. So she, I think it's pretty clear that she's looking up this information to try to figure out how they determine time of death. Right. So she also made a couple interesting statements to the police that I don't know how you reconcile the two. Um, First, she claims that John never came in the house and they have, they have texts where He's texting her like, hey, uh, I'm here I th- because I don't think he's ever been to this house before. And she's like, oh, OK, yeah, you can park behind me and in, in the driveway or whatever. And then she never sees him. But then uh, another statement she made to the police is that uh, she thought he went home. So she's acknowledging that they arrived. There's a text communication of like, hey, I'm here. But then she doesn't see him again. So it's like, well, why would you think that he went home? Wouldn't you like, wouldn't you text him like, Hey, are you sure you're at the right house? Like, are you here? Like what's going on? So that's, it's very strange yeah. to have both of those statements. Like, <clears throat> no, he, he never came in the house. And I, th- I just thought he went home. And I, I do have a devil's advocate to that, but I don't think I want to yeah. pr- present it because the other things that you just talked about, like her, like searching for these things and deleting contacts, those kinds of things, like to me, that's enough to warrant suspicion to like, look at these people further because like, why would, if that's true and they're able to get discovery or like subpoena these, uh, electrical, like the, the data records on the phones and shit and, and present that as evidence. Um, then to me, that seems really fishy, like enough suspicion for me. Like, why are you going out of your way to, I'd like to hear the explanation. Like, why you felt all of a sudden you needed to delete this contact and delete this yeah. call that you made, you know, cause well, I mean, I mean this person I, died right outside your house and these things are happening. It's weird. It's going to be interesting to hear from cell phone experts because that was one of the things that came up in the Murdoch trial too, was they were talking about, there were certain things deleted from people's phones that were inconsequential to the accusations and some of the, the cell phone experts were like, yeah, sometimes your phone just deletes shit on its own to sort of clear space. But if, if you're able to show 
this person is deleting just these things just around this time, just related to this subject, then that's much more damning. Because in the Murdoch trial, it, they, it was it was things like, you know, Alex called Maggie earlier in the day and then he deleted that call. And it's like, there's no reason that doesn't help his story at all for him to delete that one particular call. It's his phone just sort of whatever. But in right. this case, there is a reason why you would want to delete some of this damning info. And right. then, uh, so when they got back to Albert's house, the three gals, and I don't, I'm not even going to mention the other girl's name cause I don't think she's accused of anything. And, and I didn't write it down. So when they got back to Albert's house, Jennifer was the one who was like, Oh, is that his body there? The other girls in the car didn't see it because it had been continuing to snow. So mm-hmm. they didn't, initially see it. And so Jennifer's like, Oh, is, is that him right there? Which, you know, in and of itself is not indicative of anything, but it, it's kind of just one more little piece of the puzzle. Yeah, sh- yeah. So then we get to Brian Albert, who's the homeowner slash recreational MMA fighter slash dog <laughs> German shepherd dog owner. Right. And also present at this party is Albert's I'm almost positive it's his nephew. I saw one conflicting thing that said it was his son, but I'm pretty sure it's his nephew. It's his nephew because it's his, okay. uh, Colin Albert. Yes. That's his brother's son. So his brother, Chris Albert, who is also the select board member of the township or whatever the fuck Hamlet of Canton that this is. So this is like just south. I think it like uh, – yeah, it's like remember. southwest. It's just of south of Boston. It's like a borough, or not a borough. It's like a suburb, suburb. of Boston. Yeah. Um, but they call out here in the east and Midwest. They call them like townships and fucking villages and shit like that. Well, and um, I think I think Massachusetts is one of the last. It's a, places. It's a commonwealth. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> did, yeah. did you know the state of Massachusetts actually is not a state? It is the commonwealth of Massachusetts. It's a, I did not there's know some, there's some kind of difference. And when, like, when you go through like state lines and you see it, it says Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Interesting. Yeah. I can't um, remember the fucking distinction, but, um, yeah, they're real. I've heard a, a couple people real proud about that fact and they have to say Commonwealth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, his nephew Colin is there. And I don't know if you knew this, I had seen reporting that him and John didn't get along and it didn't really make sense to me. Like, well, how do they know each other if him and uh, Albert don't know each other? And I guess Colin was John's neighbor. Right. So they both lived on Meadows Avenue. Yeah. So they had been having some neighbor beef. Colin was never questioned from what I saw. Which that's like... That seems like a red flag in the investigation. Like if he has known this, this hot headed kids known to have beef with this guy who lives yeah. right next to him and is also the fucking, the, uh, the guy, the, the place where he died, that's his uncle. And he was seen there, thereabouts at different times or some shit. Yeah. That was, I was like, well, it's, it's sort of a continuing theme where there were several people who were present at that party who were never questioned. And the house was never searched to give a little bit of a preview forward. Um, and yeah, this Colin guy seems like a real piece of shit. He's like a, you know, Timmy tough nuts. Yeah. If, if you look at some of his social media, he's just, he just seems like a real 
he looks shit. like a he looks like a kid like back east that his dad would own a pizzeria and yeah. thought he was <laughs> fucking tough shit. Um, yeah, I, I did. Saw, I saw one. I saw one thing that was kind of funny, and I think it was put in on, on purpose by some for a, a little slice of levity on Reddit. And it I was guess? like they have all the they have what is it the thing where he's like, I think Shakespeare was kind of a loser. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I saw that. Like, you rule, dude. (laughs) Because they have all these, like, key players and shit, and it's like, uh, owner of this and this was elected to this board, is connected by this. And then it's like, Colin Albert, yeah, thought thought Shakespeare was a loser. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, that's funny you picked that one out, too. But, yeah, he had been confrontational with him. I also saw a thing, like – uh, I think it was from that uh, that TB News resource. They fucking uh, like two days after his death, he was tagged in something on like Facebook or Instagram at a party, and they show his like arms wrapped around someone. And he's yeah. holding a beer bottle, and you can see his knuckles, and they're all scabbed up like they're freshly. Yeah. Um, like he was in a fight. It looks like somebody's hands who were just in like a knockdown drag out kind of scenario, but yeah, so and I, there's I that, saw that that picture. piece too. I saw different dates attributed to that picture, but one of the dates I saw was in the week following. So right. it's, it's very possible. And so uh, Albert and his wife, when they find the body in the front yard, one, they were one of the first people notified like, Hey, um, there's a dead guy on your front lawn. And it's, it's the guy who's friends with Jennifer that she was inviting over here. And then we never, heard anything about it and uh neither one of them went outside when the cops were out there and i was i was thinking about this putting myself in this situation is there any is there any scenario in which the cops come to my door and they're like hey we we found a dead person outside is there any scenario where i wouldn't go outside i can't think of one right or even step out and like maybe walk 10 paces towards like the edge of your porch and kind of look out and like you know ask what the fuck's going on? Like, Hey, I don't, this is the first I'm hearing of it. I, I didn't know yeah. there was a dead man in my front yard area, sure. you know? Yeah. But yeah I, mean, I, would, I wouldn't stay inside my house. Like, Ooh, I'm not going out there. Like, okay, thanks for the update. You'll handle it. You'll take it from here. And especially with him being a fucking Boston police sergeant, yeah. like having, he knows about this guy, at least, even if he doesn't know who he is because of the, the familial connections and like, like his uh, niece. Is that who it is? Jennifer McCabe is his niece, Brian Albert. It's his sister-in-law. It's his wife's sister-in-law. Sister. Sorry. Uh, then he, he has to know at least about this person. So yeah, I can't see that kind of person, a, a Boston police sergeant staying indoors and not at least coming out and talking yeah. and being like super helpful and like wanting to get to the fucking a- bottom. Or even asking the, the cops on scene, like, well, what's it look like? Are you, do you see any, you know, well, and as a homeowner, you'd think you'd want to go out there and look at the whole scene to see if anything looked out of the ordinary. Like, right. Hey, I usually have a, a thing over here and it's not there right now. Or it looks like he was maybe trying to do, you know. Yeah. Like what if he's trying to like, for all, you know, maybe this is someone who tried to like vandalize your car or like break in and he fell off the roof or something, you know, like I'd, yeah. I'd want to, like look at those points too. Like, is there something like fishy or the, is there maybe a liability for me in this kind yeah. of situation? Of, yeah, house? exactly. If you're the homeowner, like did something fall off my roof and hit the guy or 
right, how is insurance going to try to fuck me over this? Yeah, but instead of doing that, they replaced the basement floors and sold the house, which, you know, that's unusual. Uh, got rid of the family dog, which they've had for half a dozen years. I, I saw one thing, but I don't know if I misremembered or I'm attributing it to something else that they fil- they had a pool and they filled it in. Did you see that was, or am I making I, that up? I think it was somebody else in the Albert family because I had originally heard that also attributed to this Albert. And I was like, well, I mean, that's one more very weird thing to do. Maybe that's where the dog is. But uh, I was doing a little more reading and I think it was like a cousin or a brother or a different Albert. But yeah, within like a week or so, they filled in their pool for whatever reason. And one of the things the defense is trying to do right now is get out there and and find that dog, you know, because they want it. (laughs) They want it back to. I don't know if they you got... You get off your fucking ass yeah. and you find that fucking dog. You don't just look for an hour and then <laughs> give up. So I don't know if they were able to pull some kind of doggy DNA off those bite marks or if or if they're going to do the charlatan witchcraft of bite mark analysis with a dog. <laughs> um, but it does seem strange that they would rip their floors out, sell the house, get rid of the dog, all in... I also saw that they quick. sold... They sold their house 50K under, not asking, but like under what it was appraised or valued at. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. No, I hadn't seen that little That That, little that could be someone just speculating and like looking at Zillow and like looking at like what they actually sold it for and and saying, oh, hey, it was valued at fucking 415 on Zillow and they sold it for 385. You know, that's 30K or whatever below asking and it could have no basis because like, Anything on Zillow or like Redfin or any of that shit, it's like it's their best algorithms guess at what given market conditions, interest rate, blah, 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 what that would sell for. That's not necessarily what it's actually at the end of the fucking day going to sell for, you know? So there could have been problems uh, with the house. They could have had something or other and they had to knock down the price a couple times. But it is another one of those things that adds to the pile of like them getting out of there really fast, replacing things, selling their house, maybe at a loss or willing to lose a little bit money of money to sell it fast, sell it quick. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, that, that one if you're looking at, too. if you're looking at a scale of what's more likely, all of these are just little beans that are going in one side. And I haven't seen much of anything um, that shows that show her guilt or culpability, except some self-serving statements by, the other parties that are accused of things she said uh, later on or uh, contemporaneous with like finding the body, like, Oh, did I hit him? But you know, you could, you could ascribe that to one of them sort of suggesting that to her, like, Oh, well, did you hit him? Like, so yeah, the, my favorite do you want to get into that part later? Cause that the, I do want to play a little bit of devil's advocate. Uh, yeah. So against, cause there are some things that make me pause about this. Yeah, so I've got I've got a section specifically of like evidence related stuff that I want to go over. Um, okay. I wanted the the last thing I wanted to mention that's suspicious about the party goers is there was what six to ten people there or twelve. I think four of them stayed the night, so there were six or eight or however many that left that night. None mm-hmm. of them noticed his body sitting in front of the house. That's unusual. Right. Um, so the, the next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Michael Proctor, 
who's the he's from the state police. And so yes. this is the guy they brought in fucking stadies. Yeah, to solve it. <laughs> uh, if you look at his resume, he doesn't have a ton of it's not like he's a a homicide specific investigator, you know, he's kind of just like a guy for the state police. A uh, state trooper. Yeah. But he's not it's, homicide is not his specialty. Uh, but he is a friend of the Alberts. He denied that at first, but there's like pictures with their kids or McCabe's kids. And there's really no arguing it at this point that he is a family friend of theirs. So right, right off the bat, that stinks to all shit. Um, yeah. Like not only it, it's one thing to be a family friend of the people you're supposed to be investigating, but then to lie about it. That's shitty. The, yeah. uh, the, the first thing he did, and possibly one of the worst things you can do when you're interviewing witnesses, is the first thing you're supposed to do is separate them all and interview them individually. Because not only can there be intentional uh, misleading of there, – there can be intentional lying by witnesses, by them being together, comparing notes, and right. sort of arriving at one story. But there's also – uh, unintentional story changing when, you know, if you and I both see something, you tell your version first, it then sort of colors the way I remember what I saw. And it can mm-hmm. sometimes more align with what the other person is saying, because you don't subconsciously, you don't want to contradict them. And you're sort of picturing what they're saying. And it can sometimes override what you're remembering. So that's why you, you split everybody up interview them separately and see if there's or any you could, inconsistencies. You could also be like, they, they say something and you're like, oh, that makes more sense to me in my brain right now. And then right. I'll glob on to your idea, which yeah. may, may be even worse of a memory than the actual events. And like, you had it right first, but yeah. yeah like, and wanting to like people please and like, you know, go along with the same thing. Like, just like, subconsciously or unconsciously just being in the same proximity. Yeah. And it's, I mean, this isn't like a novel concept. This is basic shit. So what he did was, uh, the four people that were in the house, he interviewed them all together hours later. I think it was 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. So they had eight, nine hours, four, five, six, whatever hours to all get their story straight. And yeah. So, None of his interviews were, were were recorded with anybody. So all of the things that he reports about his interviews with the Alberts, the McCabe's, uh, Karen Reed, there's no recording of any of that. So that's bullshit. They mm-hmm. they didn't have any sort of accident reconstruction, which you would think you would to explain how, because initially they said the she was doing like a five mile an hour three point turn like a freak accident, but then, you know, that didn't really match their, uh, the autopsy, the body, the, the level of damage inflicted does not match a five mile an hour. Yeah. Boink from a three point turn. Like, sorry. And I think there's a little bit of a doubling and tripling down thing too, where the more pushback they're getting and they're getting some good pushback. And I have a a good article here that I want to share with you later where you can tell they're getting a little uh, uncomfortable with the scrutiny they're getting. And so they're, you know, they're the pushback they're getting. Now they're tripling down and pushing back even harder. So, and they could have, I mean, they could have 
it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility for a prosecutor to say like, Hey, we think this was an accident. Um, you want to plead to like a reckless whatever. And she's like, no, I didn't do this. They did it. And they're like, okay, well now we're going for murder. You know, that that's type of stuff happens all, all the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess there was a, a snowplow driver who had driven by multiple times that night and they either didn't interview him or he never reported seeing a body on the front lawn. Um, God, see, that's, that's one of the pieces that makes me pause because especially now having firsthand experience living here in the Midwest, like, uh, in the wintertime, your like township or your fucking, uh, homeowners association pays a, uh, during the winter contracts with a snowplow company and dude they do and some of them fucking whip dude i've seen them like i live on like a half cul-de-sac so where it's it doesn't it kind of turns into a cul-de-sac but then there's another way out it's not a fully official fully dead end and this dude he comes in like oversteering fucking slams right into like this bank of snow and packs it up real good and he goes around like fuck four or five times dude whipping so that's one thing when i heard that i was like fuck dude i i could see that man like getting hit by one of those things and maybe some of the injuries that he got um that's that's one that gives me pause about this but uh i'll just put that out there that i i've seen that with my own eyes and i could see like maybe someone drunk and not yeah. seeing it and like not having all your faculties and, and somebody's whipping around shoving snow with one of those fucking things. Like, well, and I imagine there could be, there could be some equipment up front that would give him the type of injuries on his arm that might look like, yeah, a that dog bucket. Bite. Yeah. I've never seen yeah. a snowplow, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like, just, but. if you picture just like a bucket on like, you know, like from con- like a construction site, like one of those big scoops, like, uh, on a, like a tractor trailer, like a, yeah, it looks pretty much like that. Like, a, it's maybe cut in half and then, but lengthwise or width wise, it's like the width of a truck. And they, like a lot of people, they have, they just drive like Dodges and like Ford F-150s and shit. Like a little conversion that that's what I'm talking about. And they'll throw it right onto the front of their truck and yeah. And they scrape right on, right on the street. You know, they're pretty. I could see some of those nicks and like abrasions, but I will say I did look at a couple photos where they were comparing like other people that had been mauled or attacked by a dog on the arm. And I got to say, that looks pretty fucking similar to yeah. this guy's autopsy. Like they look very similar. Yeah. And it, it's pretty normal, especially for that, for that part too, you know, cause you're, you're, right, cause you're trying to like, guard. Yeah. And if, yeah. if anybody's interested, you can find, pictures of his autopsy online with Pretty a little easily. bit of searching. I don't know yeah. if, if you had this thought when I saw the picture of the gash to the back of his head, it made me think of our friend Dick dog. Did that cross your mind at all? When did that happen? So, uh, shout out to Dick dog. He's had a few <laughs> episodes on here. If you haven't heard him, go listen to him. He yeah, was at a out. work function. And oh, he, is this where he was at the bar and fell on his back? Yeah, he was at he was at a work function and got absolutely blackout drunk. Uh, got the company uninvited from future invitations <laughs> no. to this particular uh, like fundraising no. thing because probably because he made such an ass of himself. So he got hammered uh, and I think went to sit down on a bar stool, uh, but there was no stool there, 
and he he just fell on the ground and hit his head super hard and the gash looked almost identical to that like size placement damn uh, and then uh i don't know what a doctor would recommend but then he promptly just went to bed and bled all over that room like <laughs> shining <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, we were, uh, they were unceremoniously (laughs) uninvited to future attendance at this particular fundraiser. What did they say to you in the, in the casino? We'd like to invite you to, we're going to invite you to no longer, yeah, to no longer play blackjack. (laughs) Thanks. I didn't know that part of the story. I remember that he, didn't he go with Michelle? Yeah. Which is even worse. The owner of the company. Yeah. Yeah. And and the, I mean, she's a champ, so I I thought she probably thought it was funny at minimum. Uh, yeah. But I didn't know that they got uninvited from that yeah. event. Well, I think when he checked out, he was like, sorry about all the blood. <laughs> oh, I vaguely remember that. I want, I'm looking at the autopsy photo. It's like, that's got to be 20, 30 stitches ish i'm thinking do you remember him saying how many stitches he needed um i don't know i mean as we famously discussed his blood is like thicker than motor oil so after <laughs> he blood, blood type is ragu yeah after he <laughs> bled all over the hotel room it probably just congealed and did it naturally <laughs> he didn't even needs yeah he didn't no. even need stitches oh god I could see him not going in for stitches, but that gash to me, I'm looking at it. It's like maybe even 40, maybe 50 stitches. Who knows? But, um, yeah, that, that one gives me pause a little bit too, because to me, that would be consistent with like, you know, getting backed into and maybe, you know, you've had a few couple too many wobbly pops and you know, you, you continue, you do the reverberation on your head, but he fell in snow also. Yeah. That's one thing, but we also don't know how hard that snow was. If it was hard snow and it was like compacted, it's like, it's just like cement, but if it was, well, like it was freshly driven snow, it was snowing. So I can't imagine it's. Yeah. I but mean, to, then to me, when, like a little bit of a spoiler of my opinion I mean, it looks like a guy who got in a fist fight, probably got knocked yeah. unconscious on his feet and hit his head on a hard surface. And right. they either thought he was dead or were like, well, I mean, this is bad. So we'll just put him out in the cold and right. pretend he never came in the house. Yeah. And we'll just say, oh, yeah, she backed into him or he, he got hit by a car or snowplow or something. Didn't see it. You know, it's snowing. It's dark. It gets dark at like fucking 430. Like, yeah. And it's not, it's around 2 a.m. ish that he's first showing up or around thereabouts. Maybe midnight. midnight. I thought it was like 1230 because they have his cell phone data and it's pretty, it's pretty like immediate the the stop, but that's yeah. But but yeah, I mean, I, I agree looking at this shit. It's like my first reaction to, to like seeing his knuckles, the back of his hands, I also saw too the one that jumped out then after I saw the gash and then I was like thrown through a loop. It's like, then he had, not only did he have this three, four inch gash on the back of his head uh, and bruising, but he also had multiple skull fractures. Yeah. I read. And to me, it's like multiple skull fractures, like getting backed into like that and where he landed. I can't see his head jostling multiple times 
enough with the physics there to warrant multiple skull fracture fractures. So when I saw that and like when you take everything else, the totality of the shit on the arms, they had a German shepherd, the bruising looks like you got in a fight. And then the guy whose house it is, whose nephew has beef with the guy and they're hotheads. I guess you could say this guy was a trained MMA fighter. I could easily see this guy coming in there being drunk. Maybe he pops off his mouth or this other guy, the homeowner pops off his mouth and they get into a little scuffle, or maybe there's something in the background that um, hasn't been brought to light yet. You know, that they do know each other from way back or there's something underlying there and, you know, alcohol it's late at night and, you know, unfamiliar face in my house. I could definitely see uh, like a fight or something breaking out and then something goes wrong, really wrong. And you have to deal with it. I mean, there could even be something I was thinking about with no evidence whatsoever is there could be like a weird love triangle situation going on because O'Keefe is really good friends with McCabe who's married. And it's weird. It's weird how much of a primary role she's taken in this because it's, she's the sister-in-law of the guy who lives there. It's not like his wife, you know, that's who, a good point. And it could be something to where it's McCabe and, um, her brother-in-law, her sister's husband, like maybe they had something going on and O'Keefe, right. who is friends with her knows about it. And it turns into a fight, you know? Yeah. Maybe he popped off his fucking mouth. He, like this Albert guy said something to him and he's like, yeah, well, you know what? You're fucking, uh, or, well, no, that'd be backwards. Maybe maybe he said something to McCabe, Matthew McCabe. So Jennifer's husband, like, you're fucking cuck and you're fucking getting... Yeah. You're getting scammed on by this dude, Brian, uh, like, you're fucking uh, the brother-in-law or whatever, you know? That's something I didn't even think about because, yeah, she is acting very much like Brian Alpert's wife, you would think, would act. Like, they'd be tight in cahoots and, like... Um, trying to get their story straight and like, yeah, why does she have so much investment in all of this? Just because she is the point that, that knew John and invited him over. Yeah. Even though it wasn't her house. I don't know. That's, that's a lot. One thing I didn't see is Brian Albert married. Does he have a wife or is he, he does have his wife was there, but she has been completely Ah. like uninvolved in this whole thing. And, And you'd think she would be like the primary uh, person to help cover it up. Yeah. I mean, because Karen didn't know anybody there, so it's not like, oh, I'm friends yeah. with Jennifer, so I'm going to call her and she's going to help me out as a friend. It's like, well, she's one of the only people I know who's there, so I'm going to call her. But yeah, so a, a couple other weird things that the um, Proctor. Proctor? Is that what he Michael. did? I just, yeah, yeah. Michael Proctor? Yeah, so he he lied about the time of day when they when they towed Karen's car, which might seem like a unimportant oversight, but one of the things we're going to learn about later puts into question him having time alone with her car and some miraculous evidence that just comes out of nowhere like manna from heaven. So that's an un- <laughs> that's an unusual thing to fabricate that I think he said they didn't tow her car until five or six, but there's footage of them towing it at two or three. And shortly after that is when they, they find some miracle evidence, which is very damning for her. But uh, we'll, we'll get to that 
in a second. And then uh, another thing he did was in his report where he's listing a bunch of the party goers, there was at least five whose names were spelled wrong, which seems intentional to get attention away from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like a pretty basic thing to get everybody's name spelled correctly. Because if you need right. to, if you need to look them up later for any reason, you know, you're going to be looking for the wrong person. And yeah, several, several of the uh, attendees weren't interviewed for over a year. I think some were never interviewed. The house was never searched and the, the immediate area where the body was found wasn't secured. It was just kind of left there. And one other yeah, that whole little... thing with the, the investigation, like leaving it to this, like you said, Massachusetts state trooper that didn't have necessarily like a focus in homicide investigations. He was just like, it seemed like he would be like a first on the scene kind of character. And then they'd bring in detectives and like, they'd, you know, do a, a real like police investigation. Yeah. Yeah, especially since it's a cop who was killed. It's not like... Exactly, yeah. Like, And there's cops involved. It's like outside of a cop's house. It's a cop who died. It's like a very tight-knit... Like this township in Canton is like, you know, it's like 30,000 people. So even though it is on the outskirts of Boston, I mean, it's it's not like they live in Boston. You know, this is this is outside the town. So you would think that like this would have a lot of attention on it and they would be crossing T's dotting eyes, like throwing a lot of resource, like way more resource than a single state trooper to do this investigation. Like the night of into the next day, like very quickly, like sloppily, like yeah, that, that's it, one thing. That's one of the biggest things that rubs me wrong about all this. Yeah. And there was, there was an active effort to interfere with journalists too, who are trying to cover the thing. Like the, I don't know if you saw the, the police chief himself, Ken Berkowitz, he started messaging reporters on Twitter and asking them not to mention Brian Albert by name. And there was Mm -hmm. other, there were other journalists who they would refer to, uh, you know, the homeowner instead of Brian McCabe or, you know, uh, the, the woman who helped, or find whatever, you know, not mentioning names and association right. with the police department, which is super fishy. And then the same Canton police chief, Ken Berkowitz, who we're talking about, he announced his retirement two months later, not, not even two months. Cause this happened on January 28th. He announced his retirement on March 7th. So a month and some change after this, he resigns. Yeah, well, and then, then ends up the, officially retiring uh, in June, that June, twenty twenty two. Well, and the the deputy chief lives across the street from the Albert home, right? And he has a ring camera out front, and uh, you know, just the darndest thing, it wasn't working that night, or it, yeah. or it didn't pick anything up. Which I'll be darned if that isn't just uh, super inconvenient for all involved. I will say that to me, that was a little bit of a weak point because I don't, I'm not sure of the proximity and like where this, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm off. Uh, but to me, I'd be curious to see like, like what kind of range this ring 
security camera had on it, like what its proximity was, what its sensors were set to, because I have one of those fucking things and you have to fine tune it. And you, you can fine tune it to filter things out. Um, like even like it, it can track like animal movement versus like a human, like five feet and up or like four and a half feet to like catch a torso. So it's not going off all hours of the fucking night, you know, cause you see yeah. a rabbit or a fucking ground squirrel or something go in front of your house. So, that to me seemed like a like on its face it's like oh yeah security footage wasn't working but those kinds of things like the home ones you could have someone who's tight ass too and like is worried about the energy and storage and it's got to be like a actual person coming right up to your fucking doorbell before it will trigger and it'll only run for five seconds you know so to me that that seems a little loose because there's there's way too many variables behind that but yeah i'd be be curious to see how close like his house is like it's close like okay yeah like if like say if it were on and it were if if it could have captured something yeah within its viewfinder that it would have been like really damning either way then i'd say look into it a little bit more like that's something that could be subpoenaed like what were his settings on this fucking thing like why was it not why didn't it capture you know a car going by at 35 miles an hour or something like that yeah or i mean the i mean just the sound of somebody getting hit that hard yeah that too but we do have some more interesting surveillance footage issues coming up. So that's the only yes. reason why I mention it. But uh, yeah, about the library. Yeah. Yeah. So um, before we get into the evidence, the, the interesting thing surrounding the evidence, I had read that and it it didn't make sense to me because they were they were they were obviously trying to keep all of this stuff pretty tight internally. And then when her high-powered attorneys took over, they started receiving a bunch of pretty damning information from inside the police department. So there must have been some sort of leak from inside. So whether that oh, was yeah. whether that was like responding officers who were told what was going on and to keep quiet, or or just other people at the department who are like, "This is this is super fishy," because yeah, these, they actually these, had um, a fucking conscience. Yeah, because these attorneys, a, a conscience, conscience, they were um, they were given a bunch of information that I think the police department would have would have much preferred to stay quiet. So, I mean, without yeah, that, like, this who does knows? not look good for us. Well, and, and these defendants, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, who knows if some of this stuff didn't come out where we'd be? And these defense attorneys are constantly fighting. Uh, because they don't think they're getting all the proper discovery turned over. Right. And I mean, that's a, that's a big no, no. So um, yeah, yeah. So once we, once we get into that, that's one thing I'm, I'm curious to pick your brain about, about the discovery and like the length of time and like why that's been able to occur. I'm curious about that. It's it's ridiculous. You're going to charge somebody with murder and not turn over everything you have. Like you're supposed to, it's, it's total bullshit. And it's, it's done intentionally. It's not an accidental oversight. It's, you know, it's just wrong. So, yeah. So uh, a couple of interesting points about the evidence we had talked earlier about why would they upgrade it from manslaughter to murder? I saw one take where somebody thought that it's not, it's not plausible that she accidentally hit him with her car while doing a three point turn because that model of car 
has backup sensors to where if if he was in her line of driving it goes it yeah so then they from there they thought like okay well then it it must have been intentional so we're gonna upgrade it to that so i don't know i don't really buy that because because oh man the next interesting piece of evidence has to do with the taillight so well wait 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 real quick so are they saying that because of the fact that her car had a model of backup sensor that to ignore that you would have that that shows um that it was intentional like intent like the difference between manslaughter like an accident and like she meant to fucking back this guy up yeah i think is that the crux of what they're because that seems insane that that's just one of the like theories i've heard floated as to why they're huh upgrading it i mean the other one like we talked about would be just out of spite like well she's gonna fight so now we're now we're gonna bump it up so but the but the taillight thing they they claim that they found broken pieces of her taillight at the scene mm-hmm. there's there's a problem with that two problems with yeah. that the first one is there's ring doorbell footage from her house when she leaves her house to go look for him where she backs into his car you can see his car move and it's the right rear taillight so which is the taillight in question yeah and then when she pulls out you can see that it's broken so oh, that wow. that sort of that sort of debunks the taillight uh, shards at the scene, but it also kind and of being deb- a result of hitting him like at that scene, right? But it also debunks. I didn't I didn't know that at all. That's crazy. But it also debunks the theory that well, her backup camera must have been going off, so it had to have been intentional because well, if she's backing up and she accidentally hits his car, her backup camera or sensor had to have been going off then as well. So. Right. Did, so she must have wanted to run into that fucking car. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess. I mean. So, but what's interesting is. Hope you said an apostrophe. <laughs> so another interesting thing is they did when they first discovered John's body, they didn't find any pieces of taillight. They did find it 12 hours later after they had. Me. After they had her car in custody, uh, when they fabricated the time that they towed it, by the way, in case you're, you've forgotten. And in the meantime, between finding his body and miraculously finding these shards of taillight, they had accumulated a foot of snow and they found the shards of taillight on top of the snow. So that's just like the laziest evidence planting you can, you can imagine. Like it's almost a joke. Yeah. So baseball. Here's the final bow on the taillight saga. When she leaves, when she drops off John at the house and goes back to back home, she drives by the Canton Library, which has surveillance footage out front. So they go to pull that footage because if she's driving home from dropping him off at the party, and you can see two intact taillights. Well, first of all, you know that now they've planted evidence. Second of all, I mean, she could not have hit him that hard to to sustain no damage to her vehicle. So that's right. that's not probable. But the damnedest thing, once again, 
when they go to pull the surveillance footage, there's two minutes that are missing. And it just so happened to be the two minutes leading up to and after her car driving by. And the state has absolutely no explanation for how that's possible. Yeah, that's that's the like coincidence level where it becomes a bridge too far for me. Yeah, that's like it's like you're it's so on the nose. It's like you're not even trying like yeah. to cover this up or like shield from this. Well, I mean, maybe it's ingenious. Like you just you just do it, and then you say you don't, you don't give any explanation. Like they're doing, they're just like, "Yep, it's it's gone. It's it's gone." Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> what do you do? It's not like they can, like the state can, or like internal affairs can start resorting to torture or anything. So it's like, maybe that is like the best play, you know, like if you're looking at it from like the, the, the Dr. Evil view. I mean, if you're a juror on this case and assuming everything we've talked about comes in as evidence, which I don't know. I've read some things about this judge that I'm not super thrilled about. doesn't seem to be the most impartial. I just heard something favorable about the judge. Like he had allowed something to go forward or he's, he's allowing something that um, I could be way off base. I just I glanced at this. It, it was something like the judge did something that is not super common or at minimum in this is good in some way for the defense uh, as things proceed. I can't remember what the fuck it was. Yeah. I mean, that's not, I I think he has made rulings in favor, (laughs) in favor of the defense. But one of the things we're going to get into in a minute is something the defense was asking for, which I think is super reasonable and very important. Uh, But Hey, before we get to that, the last thing about um, the, the taillight being found, like the pieces being found later. I don't yeah. know if you were going to touch on this later, but I also, I saw that the Ken Berkowitz guy, the uh, police chief of the Canton police chief who happened, he was the one who found the shards later on, like the day or two after that, where they had supposed like after it had snowed and found it on top of the snow. I think like it was not only night, was like 12 hours yeah, later and he saw it not from only, the road driving by. Right, yeah. Like, and yeah. it's so it's something that got missed in the first investigation and in the first canvassing yeah. of the of the scene. And no then chance. oh by the way, the police chief happens to be driving by the scene, just fucking is he joyriding? Is he going by there on purpose? But at any rate, he happens to see shards. Yeah. And and is he's the one to find this evidence? Like that to me, it's like that sounds like a fucking Hollywood movie, you know? Like, come on. Yeah. I mean just just imagine you're a juror on this. This, this is, it's not a credible story, but, um, no. so another interesting piece of potential evidence is, uh, they pulled John O'Keefe's phone data and they find all these, all the step data, which we talked about in the Murdoch trial can, cannot necessarily yeah. be a uh, super reliable. I mean, unless the state wants to use it for something, then it's, you know, rock solid, hard science. But right. if, it, if it disagrees <laughs> with their narrative, then it's just hokum you know, not to be believed, but not only does it show steps, but it shows elevation change of him going up and down like three flights of stairs and it's a three right. story house. And I mean, the, the idea that he was not in the house does not seem possible based on his step no. data after getting dropped off. So right. 
why would you see the elevation change? And I, th- I can't remember how many steps. I, th- I thought it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like eighty. There was there was a lot because they they break it down by time frame, you know, like between these minutes, there's this many, and then these minutes, whatever. Right. But, but yeah, like to me, like thinking if he was backed into that, it wouldn't make sense for all of that movement to be attributed to him being struck by a car. No, no I chance. Mean, Maybe I mean, he wallered around a little bit on the ground if that's what happened, but I don't see that then uh, generating like the the health data on his phone that's being purported. No, and it uh, it sounds like when they found his body, either one of the first responders or um, Karen, they must have picked up his phone and put it in their pocket because there's activity on his phone well after he's obviously dead, so... Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so then then uh one of my least favorite state theories, which is just so idiotic, is the issue with this cocktail glass. Have you heard much about this? No. So there there's footage of I think the last bar that they left that night shows John holding a cocktail glass like from the bar like taking it home with him for whatever reason. And they say they found shards of glass in Karen Reed's bumper consistent with that cocktail glass. And they're saying that that broken cocktail glass is what caused all of the lacerations on John's arm, which makes Mm. absolutely no sense at all. So I I haven't seen that repeated too much, probably because they know it's, a very very weak argument but yeah for devil's advocate i'm thinking like the only thing that they could maybe be seeing or trying to argue is like he was holding this glass like he he brought it and when he got hit he happened to be holding it or it was it on his person like he he fucking stole it and yeah. put it in his coat and got hit by the car and somehow that broken glass like had shattered somehow and created those marks on his arm that were more consistent with dog bites or being mauled by a a fucking animal such as a German shepherd. That's what they want you to believe for sure. Yeah. Um, If that's the case, you would think they would have a, a shattered cocktail glass by his feet, but yeah, maybe they have yet to find yeah, it's, that. It's not like that kind of impact is going to fucking disintegrate this cocktail glass or vaporize it. You know, like I feel like there'd still be some good chunks of that, you know? Yeah. Laying about, but yeah, compared to like the dog mauling, the dog mauling wins out like 90, 10, like easy. Like wait, especially when I saw like the comparisons, like of other mauling attacks where people throw up their fucking forearm, you know, and, to shield themselves and and it it looked like one and the same to me. Well, yeah, and, and just a reminder, this is not it's not Karen Reed's job to prove anything. The state the state has to prove beyond any reasonable doubt that she murdered him intentionally. Which, you know, good luck. I cannot wait for this trial to start because I think it's going to be an absolute disaster. And there was awesome. I just I just saw a funny quote. Uh, let's see. So this is in Norfolk, Norfolk County. Uh, so <laughs> Norfolk County's DA's office, they, they actually just dropped charges against a Starbucks barista who was caught on video 
spitting in a Medfield police officer's coffee because they are, quote unquote, ethically bound to not bring forward cases they cannot be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. What an absolute joke that is. <laughs> they have they have that chick on video spitting in this cop's coffee, which yeah. uh, you know, super troopers, hilarious. Um but it also I said goddamn leader of cola. Medfield. Dude, I heard that I, I Medfield. My Asperger's was about to fucking just ignite and I was like, play it cool, man. Yeah. I, I just rewatched that. Uh, it's Peter McNeely and Mike Tyson in what, the late 90s? Yeah, he, 96. 96, 97. Yeah, and he's got, well, multiple parts of it are funny because he has the uh, the pre-fight press conference where he's like, if you think I'm I'm not going to win, you got to dump in your pants. Like, yeah, the worst <laughs> The worst <laughs> shit talk of all time. The war- dude, Gary Payton was probably just laughing his ass off at how feeble this trash talking was. Well, and you can God. and you can see Tyson sitting there just laughing, like I'm going to knock this guy's head off his body. Yeah, and, like what are we doing here? Yeah, the video Jim and I are thinking of is in the uh, like right before he goes out to the fight. Like I don't know, was that the locker room? He's like. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing this for my brother. I don't know if you want to clip in any of those. <laughs> yeah, I'll find it later. I'll I'll, I'll slip it in here. Oh, that so good. Is, I should link it too because it's. Super and he's funny. from he's from Medfield, and he's like last but not least, Medfield, 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 he, Mass. He goes out and promptly gets his <laughs> ass handed to him. Yeah, I think it's like one of the quickest knockouts. It was like it was six seconds or something like that. Somewhere between was, five and ten seconds. It was fast, man. Very fast. Uh, so the thing I want, I don't think it was that fast. No? No. I might be thinking because the last big knockout like a, that I saw was when, um, what's his face, uh, knocked out Ben Askren with the that flying knee. That was like three seconds in MMA. Yeah. Um, George Masvidal, he came out with a flying oh, yeah. knee against Ben Askren right in the shoulder and just, he just fucking turn upped on him. Maybe it was like a minute. I could have swore it was, it was like sub 10 seconds, but at any rate, he gets knocked out very quickly. He knocks him down like immediately. And it might be the first round call off, but it's not, it's not long. That's for sure. Bedfield. Yeah. I remember he made a, he cashed in on a, uh, it was a, a stuffed crust pizza, Pizza Hut commercial. He goes into the ring against a stuffed crust pizza and it hits him crust first with the stuffed crust and knocks him out. And he's all, <laughs> and it's it, that was, it, yeah. Yeah. I would say I feel bad for the guy, but I don't. Also, around that too, there was also like the, the fight promo shit, like before the fight. There's yeah. outtakes online with Don King and Mike Tyson, and he's doing like, it's, it's just like, um, like uh, celebrities do for like local cable access. Like, Hey, you're watching KHSL 24 and they have to do it for every fucking like regional yeah. market, you know, across the U S it's like Mike Tyson was doing that. Like, Hey, tune in on Saturday the 23rd and watch me. whoop Peter McNeely on Cox cable vision yep. and like all these different out. And he kept flubbing the lines and yeah. fucking them up. And Don King is like giving him shit from the background and the ends up culminating in like, 
like uh, Mike Tyson giving Don King some shit and like kind of like uh, roughhousing, but he like knocks him into a table and like, yeah. it's pretty I for- fucking funny. I forgot man. about that part. Yeah. And, like, I'm not so need to watch my really well. cable with Peter McNeely and he's getting more and more frustrated. Yeah, he's trying to find adjectives for like whooping his ass. He's like, watch me whoop Peter McNeely's butt on Cox Cablevision 34. And like, he's just doing it and he keeps flubbing and he's get you can tell he's getting like frustrated. Poor Mike. Yeah, he just smokes <laughs> way too much weed. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you've seen that. Uh, Dude, I, I don't know. It's like Good Day in. Cleveland or whatever, where the guy's talking to him and he's like, well, you know, you're a convicted rapist, Mike. And you just see his, like, the switch flip. Where he's like, yeah. I just think you're a real piece of shit for bringing that up. Yeah. It's like, you're a bitch. <laughs> it's like, yeah, why would you ever call Mike Tyson a rapist to his face? Even though he is a convicted oh, rapist and served prison time for it. But Right. Yeah, the stones on you to be in the moment like that. Fuck. Or, like, those people you see on the airplane when he got, he just fucking had it up to here with, like, Oh, that guy dude deserved on, it. That guy deserved oh, it. Thousand percent. He was he did. begging for it. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, anyway, side so, tangent. Yeah, so there was recently a, a motions hearing where um, the defense was asking for more access to um, McCabe's phone and Albert's phone because right. the uh, the initial access they got shows all of this shit where they're deleting stuff and she's searching for weird shit. And so what's interesting about this particular case, like we talked about with the third party culpability, there are uh, her defense attorneys are arguing to the judge, but the uh, McCabe has an attorney there and Albert has an attorney there also. So it's like a weird, it's not just like state versus defendant. It's like state versus defendant versus these third party uh, people that they're accusing so there's all of this internal arguing happening. So the, the attorneys for Albert and McCabe are like, no, this is no, we don't. This is you know, no, no, thank you. And the state yeah. is just there like. Um, this is some wild conspiracy they're trying to get out of the ship for. Yeah, they're, you know, they're like, calling it a fishing expedition, which is hilarious because that's like a, it's a very derogatory term among lawyers where it's like, you have no idea what you're looking for. You are just praying that you get lucky. But in right. this case, it's like, oh, no, we know exactly what we're looking for. And you guys have mm-hmm. already been hiding shit from us. And I think there yeah. was a there was a quote by one of the attorneys who was like, this isn't a fishing expedition. We have we have a big fish on the hook and we're just asking you to help reel it in. So see, this is the problem I have is why isn't the judge uh, compelled to um, force the prosecution to turn over things that I, I thought discovery and evidence and all these things are supposed to be fair game between like equally equal access between defense and prosecution. And it seems like the prosecution is just being allowed or has been allowed to drag their feet and say, Oh yeah, it's stuck in a lab or, you know, two more weeks and it becomes a month and a half. And it's just, is it's, is it just that simple? Like, no, I mean, say what they want. Yes. I mean, the, sh- the short answer is uh, it doesn't it doesn't work the way it's it's supposed to. Like the state can say like, oh, no, this isn't this this piece of evidence isn't relevant. Um, 
because it's not it's not exculpatory. Uh, you know, we don't have access to this yet. But in this particular case, since it's a third party culpability thing, the the third parties who are being accused don't necessarily have to turn anything over unless the judge determines like, yes, this is relevant to the case. Uh, so I'm going to okay. force you to. But at the same time, the defense is also accusing the state of not turning over everything that they are by law required to turn over. And yeah, they're just dragging their feet. They're just trying to make it difficult. And yeah, so uh, I was just reading this article earlier today and you can tell that the state is getting upset because they have a, uh, they put a quote out. It says as part of their trial by media strategy, uh, the defendant has sought to target the witness's credibility and character through the use of media and has encouraged the unwarranted invasion of witnesses, personal privacy. These statements go further than zealous representation. They are unsubstantiated proclamations supported only by self-serving speculation and conjecture, likely not to be admissible at trial and done with the intent of materially prejudicing the criminal proceedings by risking the impartiality of potential jurors, which is the, the thing that's so funny about that quote is what they're accusing the defense of is everything that the state does every single trial. So like, for example, so before, before you go to trial, all you hear is the state narrative of like, this person is accused of killing this person for this reason. And here's the evidence we have. And like, for example, the, uh, Brian Koberger, the Idaho four accused killer, the guy who killed the four, the guy who's accused of killing the four college students in Idaho. Are you familiar with that? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that on Dateline. So that don't watch Dateline. So that judge has issued a. Gag. I just like to com- I like to compare Bill Hader's impersonations of all the people on Dateline. Have you ever seen that? Where he he goes on some talk show, and I guess he's like a Dateline junkie, dude. He has all those motherfuckers all the way like down to Josh Mankiewicz. He has oh. them down dead to rights, dude. It's with, so I, bet he, good. I bet he does a good Keith Morrison. Like, oh, dude, yeah, all of them. He's he's right on the money. Anyway, I, okay. I did watch a couple compelling datelines that kind of got me sucked in. I know it's trash and it always leaves me wanting more. Yeah. Like, it's like, just give me like, it's not as satisfying as I want it to be. So yeah, it's, it's junk food. So in the, in the, in the Koberger case, which is still going, that judge issued a gag order, right? Which means the state can't talk about it publicly. The defense can't talk about it publicly, but guess what happens when, when that's issued, the defense can't say anything because it's only the defendant and the defense attorney. The state has all of these people who are able to leak stuff to the press all the time, all day, every right. day. So if you look at the Koberger case, there's all of this stuff being released to the media and there's nothing that the defense can do about it. And all of that stuff that's being released is, uh, I'll use the same quote that the state is upset about here. Uh, materially, materially prejudicing the criminal proceedings by risking the impartiality of potential jurors. They're just upset that in this case, the defense is trying to do the exact same thing, which is get get the story out there right. to, to prevent people from jumping to conclusions. Because, yeah, anybody in the Idaho area who's heard the Koberger case, all they know is that, oh, yeah, this is a guy that killed those four college students. Um, you know, they're, they haven't heard anything 
on on his side because his team is completely handcuffed by this gag order, but the state's not. Like it, it's a joke. This idea that the gag order is is going to prevent stuff from leaking. It's it's a one sided ordeal. So it, you, it's, just, it's just funny to see the state yeah. complaining about something being un, unfair that they we're we're supposed to be the only ones who are who are able to uh, prejudice the jury before a trial. So right. Wait, quick side tangent. Are you on, are you on the camp of, you don't think that there's enough evidence against that Coburg guy? Um, I don't know. I mean, it seems pretty, it seems like they have him pretty dead to rights. They have his DNA yeah. on the knife. Sheet. You're just using that as like an example of like what these parties are able to do in that, yeah, in that I scenario. Mean, Cause I, I saw on that case and it's like, say what you want. I mean, that guy seems like a fucking creep. Like, and it, it seems like that kind of, that area and everything that's going on. It's like, it seems pretty obvious. Well, he, he does seem like a creep and all of the, all of the stories that are slowly coming out are all coming from the state and their investigators who they found like this lady that he was a college friend of, you know, she said that he was weird and, and then all of these other little things keep coming out. But I mean, that one's yeah. also going to come down to experts because what they have is, Again, cell phone data of him being in the area, in quotes. They have his DNA on a knife sheath in the house, which is pretty damning. But yeah, yeah, that might that might be a good future episode because, I mean, it looks pretty bad, but I guess we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. Okay. I didn't mean to pull us off no, this one. No, that's okay. Though. I mean, it's an interesting case, and it's getting so much public attention that I'm kind of worried that – since it's also in Idaho, and if anybody was following the Lori Vallow trial in Idaho, they didn't allow cameras in the courtroom because they thought it would, it would just be an absolute spectacle. So I'm worried that mm-hmm. now this judge in the Coburger case, which is going to be super interesting if it ever when and if it ever goes to trial, uh, they're not going to allow cameras in the courtroom either because there's been so much pretrial publicity that his defense attorneys are saying or yeah. is unfairly prejudicing his defense so yeah i saw a big thing on dateline about that like fuck like six months ago i want to say maybe maybe less but a while ago yeah so um let's see so back in april karen reed's defense team they they issued an official statement saying that they had uncovered evidence that not only established her innocence but it points to other others culpability and I think that's when they got those leaks from whatever the police department and foreman or whoever the insider was. So they filed motions seeking right. additional discovery of things that they thought they should have gotten, but were held back, including additional analysis of the cell phones belonging to um, Albert and McCabe. And then that's when the state <laughs> got into the, uh, this is just a fishing expedition. They don't know what they're looking for. And, they they love to use the word conspiracy as like a, a, a pejorative, like, oh, this is just, no, they don't know what they're doing. Um, right. In the criminal justice system. Yeah. So then a great quote by Alan Jackson, her uh, her main attorney. Chasing that neon <laughs> rainbow. He said, uh, he said <laughs> what are they afraid of? They seem to be deeply fearful that we will get to the truth of what actually happened, which I think is a great quote. <laughs> 
Yeah. So oh, then the judge, wow. uh, he he denied <laughs> access to their phones, and he denied subpoenas for Albert and McCabe. So I don't get it. I don't understand why. Yeah. But yeah, the people who have a connection to this person, and it was right outside their house. It's like, wh- why wouldn't you grant? Like when, with with all of this, and 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 you know the defense wa- presenting like their case that is supposed to exonerate, not only exonerate their client, but also that they say they have evidence that there's a greater uh, plot here and, and that they have evidence and they, they need this discovery to be able to vet that. It's like, yeah, maybe they're hog wild crazy. And like, it's like, why wouldn't you just be like, you know, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's, uh, you know, mandate that this kind of stuff's turned over so we can find out one way or another, you know, maybe, maybe the defense is bluffing, you know, okay, let's call them on their bluff. And if they're not, it's a win-win because, oh shit, you know, maybe the actual truth will come out of this. Like, ah, I guess I'm a little bit biased because I I am fresh off of hearing, I, I watched like 10 minutes of the defense lawyer. I can't remember his name. The main defense lawyer talking about like how they like, you know, she lost her job. She fucking has incurred all this stuff that all the, all this debt and her parents are fucking, she's living with her parents and and they're having to, uh, like they bailed her out and they're having to like mortgage their house. And, and, um, they're just asking for this discovery of these, of this evidence for like 11 months, 12 months. And it keeps dragging and pushing and like just the, the machine, the law machine, it, it seems pretty demoralizing. Like I, I feel bad for this gal. Like if I were in, I, I kept thinking like, fuck dude, how much, how lame would this be? If you were in this situation, you really were innocent and you were trying to like, you work within the system. It's like you get caught in this fucking, like, it's scary to think yeah. about. You get caught in this machine and you just, you're at the mercy of, of, uh, the universe to like get you out of this hopefully, or I don't know, man, it's, it's yeah. weird. I mean, sometimes they use the process as the punishment. And if you're not, if you're not going to play ball, then they just, they feed you into the meat grinder. Yeah. I can't, what was that line from the outsider, the lawyer? He's like, he's like, Oh, he's stuck on the, the justice train and the train has no brain. Something like that. he, something about it was a good analogy for like once you get into like the system and like you know you're a a suspect the number one suspect in in a in a murder case like this it's like you just got to ride that wave just like the that kid in uh murder on a sunday morning you know like how he got got caught up in all that and his life got put on pause indefinitely and yeah like the effects that it has to your family and like, and, and all those things that go with it. It's, it's scary to think about that, that if that could happen to you. Yeah. And at, and at the end of it, you could be put in a cage for the rest of your life. Yeah. And if you're in one of those States where the death penalty is fucking alive and kicking and you're one of those, what is it like 30% that were found to be, they were actually innocent later on. Yeah. God, that's such a high number. Yeah, scary. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Do you want to put a pin in uh, this episode for now? 
and we'll under the promise of we'll come back after there's been some movement on yeah. it, maybe into trial phase and see what's going on. Because to me, I think we I think we hit all the most salient points about this case and what makes it seem uh, interesting and off suspicious at, at minimum. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the trial if it gets that far. I think it's getting more and more public attention, and I don't know. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. I, I can't imagine they're going to offer her anything. I can't imagine she's going to plead anything. But yeah, she seems pretty entrenched. Like at this point, like like she's not going to take any kind of plea deal or anything like I that. I mean, they like... couldn't they couldn't offer her anything that helps them save face. You know, I mean, because she's not going to admit culpability at all right i can maybe see it like in the court of public of public opinion maybe they get like pressure on them to like try to downgrade it back to manslaughter well i mean chances are their case is so weak they're gonna charge they've already charged her with second degree murder but i imagine they're getting i saw the charge about the drunken driving and stuff that's one thing we didn't talk about too it's like i've heard i've i don't i haven't seen a blood alcohol content or if they even administered a field test field sobriety test but i've heard rumors and things you know that like she was drunk and like they were going to try to go after her for reckless driving or drunken driving or something like that too yeah i mean if she was drunk then that could that would elevate it from an accident where there's no criminal liability to like a reckless manslaughter because you're, you're drunk driving, but I don't know what the statute of limitations is on that. Um, but what I think is they're charging with murder as the case gets closer, if they're evaluating it and they think they have a pretty weak case, which they do, um, they might try to include lesser included, like, like manslaughter or whatever. So to give the jury Mm -hmm. a a compromise option where, well, if you don't think she didn't intentionally, well, she was still reckless. So you should bring back a uh, manslaughter charge, which I don't think Mm -hmm. should be allowed because if if your theory of the case is she killed him intentionally, well, you need to prove that you can't say she killed him intentionally, but if you don't believe that we also have a backup, we have a backup. And and it works. Then a default. And it works as a compromise because you have, <laughs> like, let's say you have four who say no, not guilty, four who are guilty of murder, and four who are undecided. Then it's like, okay, well, let's just meet in the middle and call it manslaughter. But I mean, a manslaughter is still good for years in prison, so that's not a compromise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In her shoes, I mean, what it. What's the maximum? I guess it depends, it depends on the on state, the region, yeah. but I feel like it's got to be in like 10 to 15 year range. For it could be manslaughter? like a worst case. Yeah. Uh, I don't or know. Pretty high on that. It, it depends. I mean, there are other, there are other sentencing issues that come in like mitigation or aggravation, but she has no criminal record yeah, at maybe all. Maybe they could try to hit her with, hit her with an enhancement or something or something ticky tacky to like bump it up to like 10 to 15 year. Yeah. Range. I mean, there's a range and they'll argue for the max. They'll argue for the minimum and they'll both present like aggravating or mitigating factors. But I, I wouldn't want to be in her shoes if they come back with a manslaughter. That's for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, that sucks. I mean, they could even they could even do like second degree murder, reckless manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, like vehicular homicide. You know, they could include all of these lower things. Yeah, which is total bullshit in my opinion. Yeah. So just get it to fucking add up real quick, just to smack her. Like if she got like first degree murder, taking out the car of the equation. Yeah, I mean it. It it looks like a sign of desperation or a lack of belief in your own narrative when you're like, well, we've got, you know, tier A, but we can do B, C, D, E, F if you don't believe that. It's like they're they're no longer looking for the truth. Right. They are just looking for a conviction of anything because if they get a conviction, it's still a yes on their books. And that's all they yeah, care it's, about. It's still a win. Yeah. And then people will move on from it. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. All right. Well, uh, cool. So, yeah, we'll put a pin in uh, Karen Reed. Her name is spelled uh, Reed, like you're reading a book, R-E-A-D, not R-E-E-D. Uh, so, yeah, look up her case. Check it out. Hopefully, they'll, hopefully it goes to trial or there'll be some kind of uh, – development um that would warrant uh, a part two but yeah I, we'll definitely keep our eyes on this it, one and uh, i'm curious to see how this this plays out especially in a trial from setting. what i saw it looks like her next uh, did, hearing is scheduled for july 27th but oh okay cool yeah i don't know i don't think they've set a trial date but it's gonna be good if it gets there cool so yeah stay tuned for that um, if you have any questions about this episode or anything in general or hate mail, you can reach out to us at wax at waxing the porpoise.com or either of our socials. Instagram is waxing at waxing the porpoise. Twitter is at waxing the porp. Um, I have a couple kind of things, uh, in our, in our happy hour section now that we're out of the episode. Um, one is that so next week, I don't think I discussed this with you yet, Steve, but next week we're going to have on uh, a special guest uh, to discuss. We're going to talk about The Last Detail, which is a movie starring Jack Nicholson, a super young ass Randy Quaid, crazy Randy Quaid, uh, and Otis Young uh, from 1973. Uh, Last Detail, I don't think it's streaming anywhere right now, so it is a rental uh, unless you know your way around the internet. Um, it's a really fun one. I'm excited to talk about it. It's, uh, it's weird. It's, it's hard to classify. It's, it's a comedy. It's definitely, it's definitely funny, but it's played pretty straight, pretty, pretty realistic and actually kind of turns into a drama at some parts. So it's, I'd say it's a good, like, uh, military tinged, um, comedy drama from the early seventies with Jack Nicholson. It's, it's a definitely a, a Nicholson deep cut, but, um, and I don't think it's enough love or attention, but it's, it, I think it's pretty well received. And I think, I think y'all have a good time with it. Damn. So, yeah. I just looked it up. Um, he does look very young, super young. He is fucking. Yeah. He's Jack, really young. Jack Nicholson uh, now or Jack Nicholson, 1974. 74 Meg Ryan 
<laughs> Dude, when I was a kid, that did I didn't know, I didn't understand. And then once I got older, I was like, "Dude, that's fucking really undercover funny." Um, did did I miss yeah. who you said the, so the I think guest this was? Pretty, did I miss that? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have a special guest. His name is Matt. He is from. Uh, he's on a po- podcast called Swords and Stereo. I know him through like so many others through the Straight Chilling uh, community. He actually lives in Jacksonville, where all those guys are at one time. All those guys lived, and um, he's actually he's like a fucking like a modern day Renaissance man. He he owns and runs a uh, like he teaches German longsword. And like he has a, a school like where people come in and train and they, they do like competitions and shit. Like he does like, I can't, oh, I'm going to probably butcher this. He does like Spanish or Spanish or like Italian or French sword fighting, German long sword and uh, like sword and buckle, uh, sword and buckler. So like, like you m- imagine like, you know, people that are into like fencing but it's like the next step above that. Like they're wearing all the gear and shit, but they're actually like swinging like fucking like broadswords and like little buckler shields and shit. He's a super cool cat. He was actually in, he was in the Navy and this last detail, these guys are played Navy chasers. So I thought it'd be kind of funny to, to check this out with him. And he seems like a cool cat and to kind of pick his brain about like how realistic like this Navy experience is and like, kind of like, uh, maybe get a peek behind the curtain on, on uh, how true to life this is, but it's just, it's a fun movie too. There's a lot of really good lines from this that like people don't quote from Nicholson. It's just got buried under his mountain of like of his, his bibliography, yeah. but um, it's definitely a deep cut. It fits the, the porpoise mold and I think it'll be a good time. And uh, I'm looking forward to hanging with Matt and, and discussing uh, that film. So be on the lookout. That'll be next week. Um, beyond that, we're kind of wide open. I, th- I need to get back to the schedule and work a few things out, but I did get a, a message from Chris today. So at some point um, he, he wants to have John on to discuss Orca based on our last <laughs> discussion. I think it was with Bob <laughs> we were discussing like his, his umbrage that he took with Bob over, or no, that Bob took umbrage with him calling Alligator a better film than Jaws or even Orca. And uh, John John expressed interest in Orca. So we'll, we're going to have Chris on in the near future uh, with John so uh, to discuss Orca, which is very topical right now. You see all those fucking – those Orcas are fucking shit up right now. I saw there's like a pod of like 30 that just assembled off the Monterey Bay coast. And like scientists are like, we don't know what the fuck's going on. They're like upending boats and like wrecking shop out in the ocean. Oh, like, I thought that was mostly in Europe. Like I thought I saw. Isn't that where it started or no? I, I don't know exactly, and I'm not attributing it to the California coast, but I just thought it was really interesting. Like there, you hear the shit. Like there's or there's these random fucking orca attacks that are like they're like spiking. You know, like like they're like they can't explain like this this spike in the, I think the volume of attacks, but then I just happened to see like, like CNN, like tweeted something out, like, like scientists just like caught and measured. They saw there's like a pod that just assembled a group of 30 orca, which I don't know if they're like solitary creatures or, but they're like, they're like scratching their heads. Like why they don't know why the fuck that they've all assembled in this one area. And it's just off the, 
the coast of Monterey. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. They're organizing. I thought I thought when it first started happening, these like targeted orca attacks, I thought it was happening in like fishing areas where the orcas had had learned that these were the people who were taking away their food. So it was like a targeted strike. I, I didn't. That's pretty fucking rad. Dude, that's man. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I saw a meme. It was like a Nike meme. And it's like, uh, and it shows this big ass orca and it's like a black and white picture. And it's got like an insignia, like a little orca insignia. And it said, fuck them boats. (laughs) 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 Oh, that shit gave me a good chuckle. Oh, fuck. Boner alert. Um, so yeah, orcas, they're fucking shit up right now. Uh, we also, last but not least, we did get a colloquial last but, corner. Last but uh, not quick, least. Quick, last but not least, snubby. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, Nate Dog, Natron Means, the Nate Neen from uh, Ghoulish Uni, um, big beard guy. Um, he said, colloquial corner submission. Uh, it's highly similar to my gripes with the It's Giving colloquial corner i think we had last with them on the raid where logan um educated us on the uh it's giving is the new slang i guess now it's uh another one that's very similar in that vein is serving so this is the the headline jennifer lawrence's super wide belt is serving 2002 i don't like it it's uninspired <sighs> Another sign of the apocalypse. I hate hate everything about it. Last thing, you remember Colin Coward? Oh, yeah. Least (laughs) penalized team in the SEC. I saw my high school quarterback. I guess he's got a. (laughs) Yeah. I guess he's got a daughter uh, that's real pretty. And she had started dating Trey Lance, who is uh, one of the. One of the. Yeah. Yeah. and I I saw a clip from earlier last year, I think, and he's like and it shows him up on the board and it's like before Trey Lance broke up with Cal- Colin Coward's daughter. And uh he's like, Trey's going out there, the 49ers are matching up with one, and he's like, Go Trey. And then it's like after he broke up with his daughter, and like Trey Lance, he, I think he had a really shitty run of games. He's like he's saying shit like he's like, You're a big boy now. Got to win eight games at home. And like, he's like, just, (laughs) it's it's so, it's so funny. Like just seeing him go in on him after that. That guy sucks so much ass. Yeah. He makes like $6 million a year. I was like, fuck. Anyway, that's a big tangent. Any, and if you sports ball nerds know who Colin Coward is, you'll get it. Um, yeah, I think that's all I got. Any last words? Anything else to you want to mention before we sign off? No, I don't think so. All right. Cool. Well, stay tuned on Karen Reed. It's an interesting case. Uh, maybe we'll come back to it. Uh, hopefully it goes to trial. Um, yeah. Thanks for I, listening. I do feel kind of bad that we, we didn't talk more about John O'Keefe because he seems like a really nice dude. Um. 
Yeah. But I guess I, one thing I saw too, he was like highly decorated. Like people liked him. He's a 16 year yeah. vet. I, I don't think we kind of, we didn't pump up his character enough. Yeah. And I mean, same. I mean, we didn't really talk much about Karen Reed either, but I guess it's not really about them, even though it is, it's more about like getting the people who are ultimately the, responsible. Right. The forces that are like imposing themselves on this situation. Yeah. yeah it's a raw deal for sure. But yeah, I did see some stuff about him. Like, like, I mean him taking in, I guess he had no choice, but like, him taking in his niece well, and nephew, he did have a raising choice. them. I'm sure so he has an estranged mom uh, who also applied for custody uh, of the kids, and he won. So, oh, so he fought, and like he, yeah. okay, so that even adds more to his cre- credibility level that he want. He went out of his way. He wanted to um, yeah. get these kids and and raise them in a good environment. And yeah, he was a 16 year vet of the Boston PD. Well, um, now these poor kids have lost the their parents. And their uncle. Oh fuck yeah, yeah. It's it sucks. Yeah, I didn't, we didn't even touch on like the the tragedy of him passing away in this in this whole scenario, you know, and like you know his family members and yeah, it's it's shitty. Yeah, and just again, I'm like looking at the autopsy photos again too. It's like that alone, and like looking at just being backed into it. Just those two things right on its face just don't jive, and it to me it warrants like. As as the cops like like investig it tasked with investigating this and a fellow cop dying, wouldn't you I feel like you'd be throwing more weight and you'd be doing more to figure out what happened to this guy. Like well, and looking at this and be like, This seems this seems weird. Um Yeah, and not not to be an there's ultra bummer to end this, but if you look at his autopsy photos, when you look at his chest and his face, they have like uh oxygen on his face and what looks like sort of a chest seal or something so that makes me think that when they brought him to the hospital he wasn't dead yet he must have been close because you can see they've got like a some sort of oxygen like uh thing in his mouth so if they right so like as if he were doa they wouldn't have gone through the trouble of yeah yeah so that's it that's a good point yeah that's that sucks so it's like if if somebody could have made it to him like an hour earlier or a half hour earlier, maybe that could have been the difference, kind of thing, you know. And that he was just le- if he if he truly was like fucked up and there is a cover up and he was left for dead like that and just like he couldn't do shit about it and he was like incapacitated but still alive, quote unquote, like and he could have been resuscitated. Yeah, it's even worse. Yeah, well, and it would also explain if if Mc, when McCabe is doing this, how long to die in the cold search at two twenty seven, and then she's like, oh yeah, she's delaying Karen Reed from coming to search. Like, uh, yeah, uh, I'll come find you. Just trying to like, yeah, just give me another hour and a half. Yeah, that makes it even darker and and like. If that's true and, and the defense is able to point that, it's like all those fucking people should get the fucking book thrown at them, you know? Like, yes, they are all guilty of murder. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I look forward um, to the follow up because it, it's going to go to trial for sure, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens. 
Yes, yes, it will. One shoelace. I came in here with two. You took my shoelace. You took my shoelace. What you gonna do with one <laughs> shoelace? Let me guess. Floss your ass. <laughs> Gotta go. What you gonna do with one shoelace? Let me in on the secret. Floss your ass. <laughs> All righty. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, tune in next week for the last detail. Thank you. Thank you.